Hi, Stably. Hi, Jerry. How you doing? I'm doing okay. How are you? I'm good. Um, you know, um, my handers are happy, so that's all that matters. <laughs> oh, are they? <laughs> Indeed. How, how are the Everglades? <laughs> Always homestead this time of year. Uh, well, 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 there's a lot to get to that. Um, okay. All right. So today, uh, I should say last time, uh, we announced that our pick, or my pick, was The White Album uh, by Joan Didion, which we indeed read and will be discussing. Uh, but that, uh, yeah, that was a pretty brief book. And we had, you know, I had recommended to you a book that I had already read a while back called Miami by Joan Didion, um, which I thought, I, I always uh, really liked that book because I thought it was a, a you know, a true, if not accurate, um, uh, portrayal of Miami during the time that I grew up there. Uh, and I said, why don't we do a double header? So we also read Miami by Joan Didion. And, uh, and we're going to be discussing both of these today. That's right. <laughs> Anything to, to add? Uh, to the intro? No. To that prologue? That's, that's a good preamble. Okay. Uh, uh, needed more lists and commas. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny because who was it that we read very recently that wrote? What did we read last time? Uh, whatever it was. I think one of our issues was. Alan Bloom, who wrote incredibly long paragraphs and long sentences and long paragraphs. And so it was very difficult to parse. And, no, you know, I'm so sorry, Jerry. There weren't even any pictures. No, no, no. I, uh, my, my point simply being that it was, I enjoyed the book. I gave okay. it a, a thumbs up. Yeah. But, um, you know, you really had to make an effort to read it. Uh, whereas here, uh, Joan Didion, also writes in incredibly long sentences and incredibly long paragraphs, but it's a delight. It just like it flows so nicely. It does. I I do think it requires close reading because oh all yeah, the, all the commas, all the clauses, <laughs> and the, the what have you. It's uh, no, but it was it, yeah. I mean, I don't know if anyone would argue she's he's a better writer than her, but yeah, it's it was a delight. Yeah, you just look like a bubble bath. It is. She's you know, a fantastic writer. Luxurious. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So I guess we should, uh, you know, I imagine just, just from, uh, green room conversations that, you know, we, you at least are more eager to discuss, uh, Miami, which is oh, fine by me, which is, yeah. no, which is fine by me. Uh, like, it just seems like we're going to have more. To, so the white album is a collection of essays, um, that are, uh, about the sixties basically. Um, and so it's a collection, right. And so we can talk about a lot of different little things, whereas Miami is a, a book about a particular subject, right? So the whole book is about Cubans in Miami, basically. Uh, and uh, uh, so I think we'll have more to, you know, dig into uh, in Miami. So, but why don't we start with the White Album? Um, uh, so what did you think? Uh, you know, <laughs> no. <laughs> what did I think? It was great. Uh, I've, I've never read Didion before. It's always been uh, like kind of scary or something. Like, oh, this is too uh, too sophisticated or something. Right. Two, to, New, uh, two New York Review of Books or something. Two New York Review of Books. That's but right. But it's not. I mean, it like it is and it isn't. Right? right. It's not. I mean, like New York Review of Books, New Yorker. Like they're not. It's middle brow. Right. So it's not like you know, 
jargon or anything uh, most of the time. So this was, you know, a delight. I enjoyed it quite a bit. The, um, as you said, it's about the 60s, right? Or like mm -hmm. late 60s, more specifically, like when a uh, helter skelter. It's all yeah. about when it falls apart. Yeah. Um, and it just, the way it starts off, I'm not going to read the whole paragraph. And it's just the, the first essay. It's called mm -hmm. The White Album, right? And it's just about how completely, uh, I guess, like discombobulated and dislocated she felt for about mm -hmm. five years from like 66 to 71 mm -hmm. when basically everything she thought i mean I'm not, she does a better job of uh, describing this than i'm going to do but mm -hmm. everything she kind of thought she knew and understood about it's a very personal book right these yeah. essays are not just about the 60s they're really about her um all that she thought she knew about herself and her place in the world and i guess the world just kind of fell apart um and she just didn't know what she was doing or what was happening. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, that kind of hits hard. <laughs> 20, <laughs> 2016 to 2001 right. or 2021 or even 2023. I guess our, our Helter Skelter is a little longer than hers. Um, uh, yeah, it's just, it, it just hits you from the very beginning. Like the first, the first paragraph basically is, um, I don't know, redolent. Like it, it it described the some of the thoughts I've had lately, um, <laughs> and like uh, the way I feel about certain things. Do so, you want to elaborate? Oh, just um, I don't know if I can. I mean, I would have to read the whole thing. Um, what is it? Yeah, here it is. I mean, it's just like the last sentence of the the first paragraph. Yeah. Um, uh, or the last few sentences here. Uh, we look for the sermon in the suicide, for the social or moral lesson in the murder of five. Right. We interpret what we see, select the most workable of the multiple choices. We live entirely, especially if we are writers or Twitterers <laughs> or social mediaers or whatever, podcasters, content creators, blog, yeah, bloggers, shitheads, uh, by the imposition of a narrative line upon the disparate images, by the ideas with which we have learned to freeze the shifting phantasmagoria, which is our actual experience. It's like, yep, that sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then she goes on to like how her life kind of, I mean, her life didn't exactly fall apart. Like she was doing great professionally, um, but inside she was kind of going crazy and like did go crazy and had to like get all sorts of weird 1960s therapy, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, which was fun. Um, but, um yeah it's it was just like very it's just very eerie right mm -hmm. uh, at least for me just like what what she was going through like at a maybe at a more pitched more pitched level um but yeah that's and then the whole book kind of the book the essays right i mean these were all written like at the time right they're they're yeah. a collection i don't know what maybe it was put written after the fact i guess you could look it up but um yeah, I mean that's just a, a through line through everything. Yeah, I mean, yeah, especially like you know, she talks about the Reagans a lot uh -huh. here and in Miami, and you just get the impression that she's really not <laughs> very impressed with like um, the shallowness of the Reagans and their kind of their their attempt to like control reality through TV. What's so funny is that her, um, you know, uh, hostility, I guess, or 
skepticism of the Reagans is not for the reasons that you would think, right? She is not a left heart by any means. And, no, and she's kind of a right. I mean, she might have been writing for a national review at this time. That's the thing, right? Is that I, I, I don't, you know, like reading this now, um, she really comes across as a conservative, right. um, which is, uh, you know, I, I haven't read much about um, you know, writing about Joan Didion. So I don't know if that's commonly accepted. Uh, I don't know if she would have self-applied that. Probably not. Um, uh, but yeah, the reasons that she doesn't like the Reagans um, is because they're populist, right? She's very anti-populist. Uh, uh, so yeah, it's super interesting. And she's so good at capturing the mood of a particular uh, time and place, right? Like you mm -hmm. can just feel it. Um, uh, you know what? And, she, and, and so it's not just the '60s. She's also writing in LA, right? And so the book mm -hmm. go, does go elsewhere, but mainly it's in California and specifically Los Angeles, where, where she lived, right? Um, yeah. So like, uh, the, kind of the uh, like the, the dis, as you say, the dislocation and, and like the disassociation that you'd feel from. Um, normality <laughs> with with all you know with all of this shit going topsy-turvy right um and she has no time for hippies no nope. right she has <laughs> uh yeah she's in the, the whole time um while you do get kind of that view of, of what she thinks um she's always seems like a disinterested observer who's just kind of like uh you know, just just observing the insanity. Like she has this chapter that I liked on. Um, the, it's called the bureaucrats about Caltrans, how they're trying to engineer traffic in Los Angeles. Yeah. And, and the pub, and you know, and she's just like watching these people who think that they can, you know, just so naively, you know, re-engineer the behavior patterns of, you know, millions of voters. Uh, it's like she's what would you what would you describe it she's watching it like with not amusement but just kind of like uh this detachment that just shows like um they're not you know they're i, I don't know what naivety i guess or just arrogance arrogance right? yeah 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 she's very good at picking that out and again you know she's a writer so she's creating this world i don't know like as you mm -hmm. said what'd you say about her book about miami it's uh accurate but not true or true but not accurate uh, yeah true, it's, it's, but yeah maybe not yeah 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 so again it's hard true to if say. not accurate yeah um but you know i don't read like that much writing of this level being created now but the only yeah. person she really reminds me of is mm -hmm. writing right now is like freddie DeBoer, who yeah. was like a marxist like a, an actual communist right but he has enough like skepticism he just kind of he just seems to write what he thinks right whether you agree with him or not if he's right or wrong or like crazy or completely off base right he is a communist after all um at, at least you get the impression that like he's not massaging this mm -hmm. to get somewhere right he's not social climbing he's i mean this is a topic he writes about all the time so maybe he's doing the reverse i don't know but <laughs> but you know you just feel like when she's writing about something like this is just her this is what her impression is like she's not massaging her message to do anything yes. maybe, maybe she was right she became incredibly successful um that's the thing that's that's kind largely, of largely right? i guess because of this 
book, mm-hmm. this collection. But I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Like she, she would probably piss off a lot of people in the early seventies with no, the kind of stuff she writes about. Yeah, because you know, by the time that she, you know, in these essays in this collection, she was already talking about, um, you know, going on book tour for another book, right? And yeah. uh, she was talking about writing for Vogue and the New Yorker or whatever. So she was already successful. Yeah. Um, and I, and I just kind of surprised by that because, um, yeah, her whole, her whole thing is that she doesn't, um, uh, you know, pay obeisance to the narrative. <laughs> you know, yeah, she kind of exactly. points out the emperor, the emperor has no clothes. Is basically what what she is doing, but not in a, um, in in a very uh, detached way. Like she's just, you know. Just, just stating a matter of factly, like the emperor has no clothes, right? Like, right. I mean, this is not um, like you wouldn't read her to figure out who to vote for. Correct. In the next election, this is not a, no. and therefore you must support. Um, I don't know George McGovern. I don't know who yeah. the hell is running for anything, right? Because she just makes fun. I mean, makes fun. She, she hoists people up on the left and the right and the center. She, she goes after like kind of Reagan and that that version of conservatism. She goes after like the bureaucrats and technocrats. She goes after the Black Panthers and the hippies <laughs> and just Hollywood liberals who are, you know, completely just completely detached from like reality. Like they don't understand it. Like they're basically stupid people. <laughs> she basically says she just says like these are dumb people. Like don't pay too much attention to them. They're harmless. <laughs> uh and um you can probably get all that from different writers today, but you always get the impression that like, oh, this is written for, you know, some, some audience. Right. Um, and, uh, no, she kind of nope. probably wrote, wrote these for herself or yep. you know, obviously she got paid for them, but still it's, it was good. Um, the, uh, the, uh, Eldridge Cleaver, uh, scene was yeah. great. <laughs> she goes and she like, I guess visits Eldridge Cleaver after he got out of prison. Or I guess, I guess, I guess he was, uh, on probation or whatever. He was, or I think he was waiting to trial. trial. Yeah. 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 And he, his book had just come out or was about to come out. Uh, and it reminded me of network that, that whole thing. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, which if anybody doesn't know is uh, the best movie ever made. Um, Patty Shyamsky. Um, what else to say? Uh, very anti-feminist too. Would you say? I mean, I mean, yeah. Or anti-second wave, maybe. Yeah, I mean, she she has her opinions on on like that that yeah. I guess it is second wave, right? Yeah. I'm just trying to think. Yeah. Um. Yeah, she's uh she's not a fan of a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> um. But you know, she's such a good writer. I think you can like get. Yeah. Maybe if you disagree with her, you can still get something out of it. Uh, and she's not like particularly like mean no she's not, she is mean she's not vulgar right about it right um like she she twists the knife but she does it in a very good way like i wonder if she like she does not seem to like what is her name i always mispronounce her name doris uh blessing, blessing. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but she loves georgia o'keefe yep yep <laughs> and uh just slipping through there yeah um yeah they're just uh you know it's not really a period i'm like that familiar with like I know the names because I grew up in the nineties. Right. And so a lot of these people, I mean, some of them are probably still around. Uh, they they were like around, they were like hitting their stride and, you know, having thoughts and ideas on, on cable television or, you know, saying stupid shit. <laughs> uh, 
and so like the names are familiar, but it, you know, I didn't really know like who a lot of these people are. So yeah, it was, it was fun. It was like a really fun read. Yeah. Uh, and you can really just dip in and out of the, yeah, yeah. of these. They're not, they're kind of organized in sections, but like there's a section called like ladies. <laughs> Basically it's like, it's about women. Um, yeah. And you can go into that uh, if you want to. Um, the other reason why she like, like just reading her now for me, she's like so obviously conservative is um, like, it's like a theme throughout all of the essays. Um, and again, these are written at different times for different audiences or for, or for different publications, I should say, or whatever. Um, it's that she, you know, she uh, knows that there is a human nature, uh, that human nature is not perfectible. <laughs> Um, uh, and so therefore, uh, you know, all of our human institutions are fallible, uh, and to try to, you know, pretend otherwise leads to folly. And this is a lot of what she kind of points out in the different, uh, you know, whether it's a student movement or the Black Panthers or the, uh, bureaucrats or the Reagans, or, you know, it always goes back to that, right? Like these are people and people are, you know, terrible right they're not <laughs> and you can't yeah. try to make them perfect right uh -huh. exactly and i mean and the other thing i guess we're going to move on to like miami soon is yeah um, like artifice she's she really seemed mm. like she's very good at least to my eye uh, she's good at cutting through um just the, the sheer amount of like fakery yeah that, that was going on around her and is you know it's i think it's useful it's a useful skill to have especially now but um, I mean, that's kind of what I take as her biggest grievance with the, not the Kennedys, uh, the Reagans. Um, I mean, I don't know if she's anti-populist actually. Like, I think she's just, well, I don't know what she is, but, um, it's, there's that, it's not even a, its own essay. It's a section of an essay. I don't even remember what it's called. It's towards the beginning. It's where like, there's a TV crew and they're in the Reagan house mm -hmm. and they just, they just want to get Nancy Reagan just doing what she normally does. And there's like a 30 minute conversation <laughs> ensues about how she's going to like, why don't you go pick flowers? Like, okay. And she's, Nancy Reagan is just so, she's just willing to play along or she's so happy and everyone's smiling. Yeah, and, she says, actually, I need flowers. Or exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, and the way that she ends the, the essay, right. It's like, they don't really need her. Like they need to like make takes, right. They need to practice it. But so she can't actually just start cutting all her flowers down. So they want her to like uh, fake the nip. <laughs> That's how she ends the sections. Right. Fake the nip. Yeah. Yep. Um, uh, you know, I want to say, so you're right. That it's a weird combination of anti-populist, but not, uh, you know, anti the people. And I'll tell you what it is. It's like, here's why I say it's anti-populist, right? So that chapter, she contrasts, it's basically contrasts between the new governor's mansion and the uh, old governor's mansion. Uh, and the new governor's mansion was, I guess, designed or, you know, put up by the, by the Reagans. And it is modern and it has a wet bar in quotes, right? Cause this isn't a new thing back then. Yeah. And it had, it, basically it's, it's all open concept and it's, um, it has no no soul in you know in in her understanding, in her I would say conservative understanding, right? Whereas the uh, old governor's mansion 
which uh, she actually would frequent as a uh, adolescent because she grew up, I guess, in Sacramento and uh, went to a private girls' school and uh, et cetera, et cetera. Knew the the daughter uh, is like a you know kind of you know I, I can only imagine like some kind of like elaborate rococo you know mansion when you think of governor's mansion and it had lots of stairs and it had um wasted space and et cetera et cetera but it had but it had this charm um you know that allowed for you know the, she would you know she would talk about how it would allow for uh you know a, a dozen adolescent girls to not disturb other people right et cetera et cetera um, and she's talking about how she took the public tour when she was doing, when she was basically writing the story about the new mansion, she took the public tour of the old mansion and like the people on the tour with her, you know, when they would walk in, they'd be like, Oh, look at all the stairs. Gosh, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, like, and you can, you, she doesn't say it, but she, you know, she's like almost saying, look at all these fatties. Uh, <laughs> and I think she even says like, you know, like we, we got to the point in our society where we can't deal with stairs or something, something like that. Anyhow. Um, so she's got a bit of a contempt for that popular, um, uh, democratizing, um, you know, tendency in, in America to make everything convenient and, you know, just cheap and et cetera. Right. So she's got that anti-consumerist kind of thing. Um, and she has high regard for, you know, the old, uh, uh stuff, you know, et cetera. But then she also talked about the Getty, the Getty yep. Museum, which is, you know, denounced by the critics as, um, you know, uh, nouveau riche, basically, right? Or I think what she says is it's inauthentic. In, inauthentic, right? It's an, in, but, <laughs> go, go ahead. Yeah, she has a great quote where she says, um, you know, everything that was old was was uh, new at some point, you know, or even nouveau, right? Yeah. Um, but she appreciates... So again, this is again with the anti-populist stuff. She appreciates that. The, so it's a, I would say, you know, it comes across as a uh, unbiased kind of just take on because that, that's a, that's her thing. When you read her, she seems detached, unbiased, right? Um, kind of review of the Getty, but really, <laughs> if you just read just an inch deeper, um, it's not. It's a it's a favorable, positive review of the Getty. And she talks about how it's a collection of this guy's stuff that he thinks is worth preserving about Western civilization. And it's a lot of, you know, Roman statues and, and uh, you know, old masters. And they even, she says, you know, they even they had a couple of pointless or something and they took those away and lent them out. Um, and there's like a, like a fresco that was recently done that looks gaudy. And of course it looks gaudy because it's new. Right, the uh, Roman frescoes or, or Roman, you know, uh, looked gaudy. R Roman um, temples look gaudy because they were painted bright colors when they were, you know, new. Anyhow, uh, so she appreciates this guy's dedication to, to, to that. Um, and but then this is this is where the, it, it's she's not really anti. She may be anti-populist, but not anti-people. Is and tell me what you think about what this tortured analogy or whatever i'm making go ahead tortured <laughs> argument she criticizes the critics who dismissed the getty as whatever uh what did you just say uh yeah just nouveau and um uh, vulgar vulgar whatever yeah, yeah so these, these critics just dismissed but you know who likes getty the people 
Yeah, normal people that he normal built people. that he built the museum for in the first place. For in the first place. Yeah. And normal people love it. And she talks, she ends it with how there is a connection between the public and rich people who are benefactors, right? And they yeah. like it. And that that was also kind of, you know, um, I think it's so funny today, you know, there's a lot of uh, admiration for a few rich people, depending on which side you're you're on, uh-huh. <laughs> and, it's, and it's always very funny. But anyhow, what do uh, what do you think of that tortured argument I just made? No, I agree with you. Like it's that that entire little essay is is great because you, you kind of think she's going one way, and then she goes yeah. a little bit in the other, and she just she both like has no time for for both sides, and also understands what both where both both sides are coming from yeah. uh which is maybe what you want in the in, in in some of your some of your essay writers your essayists um which is why i don't i don't, I don't know like yeah she's probably not she's probably anti-populist with a capital p but in a lot of ways she just wants people to like get on with their lives you know just like just let people live their lives and try to find the best around them and you know try to provide that for them you know, if you're rich or the government, like don't, don't, don't meddle. Right. She's like, she's very anti, anti meddling. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going to say she's a, this is not the reason podcast. I'm not going <laughs> to say she's a libertarian. <laughs> no, no, she's not a libertarian because right. she, she thinks there, it comes across as she thinks that there is, um, I mean, certainly human nature and maybe even some objective good here and there. Right. Like, or at least things that should be preserved. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so it's you know it's, it is refreshing, right? She's um, you know when you read, I think when you read people today, you can kind of see like they're trying to match her, right? In a lot of different ways, and yeah. um, it usually doesn't come off. But it's yeah, I mean like the the Getty uh, essay, the essay about I mean, I don't, is it even the mansion? Like basically, it's like a ranch. So the Reagans built this monstrosity, right? Uh, cost- I don't know. I, I bet I'll like it. I bet I haven't seen it, but I imagine. I bet it, you would. I, I bet yeah, she yeah. would. It has no bookshelves, no clutter. Right. <laughs> um, it's a private residence now. I look. I try to find it. Um, it's pretty big, but the point is, like, they they yes, the, the old mansion was like a fire trap. <laughs> it was like right. It's condemned, actually. Like at least back then, I don't know what they've done to it now, but like you're actually not allowed to live there anymore because it might kill you. So they definitely needed somewhere new. Um, but the Reagans like went out of town. Like it's not even really in Sacramento, and they built like this giant ranch house for a million dollars back then. God knows how much that is. And you know, she's pointing out all the ways in which this is just. Um. I don't know what the word is. I'm not going to say vulgar again, but it's just very like, it's, it's, you know, like it's like um, housewives, right? It's like housewives yes. of Miami. Like this is what somebody with money and no taste would do. Like they don't care about, you know, reading or any of that stuff. There's probably, if they built it today, there'd be a TV in every room, right? Be mar- marble everywhere. The chandeliers, all that stuff. Right. Um, Overstuffed. Looks like Prigozhin's mansion. <laughs> but at, at the same time, can I say but, she? she yeah. oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish. No, but it, like at the same time, she's saying like, yeah. I mean, this is kind of a dump, right? But like, actually, people. There's no soul. Yeah, it's like kind of soulless, and yeah. it's kind of lame, and like, there's no. It's disconcerting, and it's kind of unpleasant to be in. Um, 
it's like a house for like snack. What did she say? It's a house for snackers. For snackers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's like there's a microwave and a trash compactor, and like <laughs> nobody can really use any of the like ovens or anything in there. But on the other hand, at the end of the essay, she points out, you know, she quotes all of these um, the. I guess Jerry Brown's governor at that point mm -hmm. yep. and all of these like democratic party hoodlums, right. Talking about like, Oh, I've never even seen it. Yeah. Oh, I don't, I don't, it's, it's like the, Oh, I don't own a television. Right. Like these people are well, also, yeah. What I was going to say is that Jerry, she makes a big, she makes a big point of showing that Jerry Brown, who was governor when she was writing this, um, didn't live in the mansion. He refused to, he made a big show of right. refusing to, and he uh, basically had a, a like a one bedroom apartment or something like that. Um, uh, yeah, and uh, pretended that he had never seen it or, or whatever, right? Like, yeah, like but you know, after kind well. of yeah, after going after the Reagans for building a big phony Barbie house, basically, mm -hmm. she goes after the other side for being a bunch of phonies that are just right. pretending that like, oh heavens forbid, I would, I would, I would never. And yeah. really, it's like it's just like a house. Like what she just says is like it's just kind of a house. It's the house like a, a middle class, like a banker or a dentist would have if he had right. money. And right. it kind of goes, but it's like the Getty uh, Villa. It's like people might people might like it. So like, what does it say about? Well, what does it say about the Reagans that they would build something like this when like they should know better? <laughs> <laughs> but also, what does it say about the other side who are like acting as if? it's like a it's like a dog house or it's like a slum right, <laughs> right. it's it's like it's it's like a whorehouse like they're acting as if bad things happen there and it's like no it's just like an it's just an overly large like mcmansion and 90 percent of people would love to live there and think it's cool yeah i mean she doesn't <laughs> but yeah. it doesn't stop her from kind of skewering both sides so yeah yeah all right so thumbs up all thumbs around up. for the mm -hmm. white album uh, uh you can't go wrong with yeah. Yeah. I think it's time to go south of the border, Jerry. All right. It's time for Miami. Uh, mm -hmm. Stably, let me have it. What's wrong with you people? <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got to say. Um, what do you think? Um, you know, again, I'm an ignorant ignoramus here. Like, I didn't, I know that the Cubans live in Miami. I know largely how they got there and why. Um, but that that's kind of the end of it. I didn't know all of these um, amazing like stories and the backgrounds of all the people and just the, the tensions between the Anglos and the Cubanos, uh, yeah. all of that. Um, just the sheer amount of domestic terrorism you have just walking <laughs> all over the street in your gavillaras or whatever you guys wear. Guayabinas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah, I mean, it's, I'm sure it's different now because this is like from the book is written about Miami in the 80s. And it's back. very different now. Yeah. Which, so which I think is so interesting. Um, yeah. But, but go ahead. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I guess it might explain like it's again, I, I got here in the 90s, but like there was this weird fascination with Miami. It seems in the States in the mm -hmm. 80s and into the 90s, like there's Scarface, there's Miami Vice. There's uh, it, it, like a bunch of other stuff on TV. I mean, even Nash Bridges. I don't know where that took place. <laughs> that might have been San Francisco. Um, uh, the Bad Boys movie franchise, I believe, was in Miami. It um, was CSI yeah. Miami. Yeah, CSI Miami. Welcome to Miami. Uh, yeah, there's like this. There was this fascination with it, and I wonder like, why. 
um, it, it seems to be, have been like a city that like punched above its weight, just considering like how, how big it is. Well, it and still if you kind think, of does. And if, you, if I ask you, um, my, you know, um, United States, Latin city, what comes to mind? Does LA come to mind? I mean, not really. No, no it's Miami. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that's true. <laughs> so what was, what's your question? Herndon, Herndon, Virginia. Herndon, Virginia. No, so I, I think a lot of the fascination is Miami is just so different, right? And this is something that, what was that book? Um, the Albion Seed knockoff we read a long time ago, American Nations. I think so, yeah. Where he, you know, it's the same thing. He talks about uh, what were the origins of the peoples of, you know, the different geographies of the United States. And he divides the country into like seven nations or, or whatever and where they, you yeah. know. But then he has like a, a, uh, like a little pre chapter at the beginning where he like talks about how this excludes my, like in the entire continental United States, he says South Florida is excluded from this study because it is not. Yeah. It's not American. <laughs> it's not fit. It's not American. Yeah. It's the, what does he say? It's the northernmost Caribbean city. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So I, so I think that there's that, um, that, that, that explains the fascination, right? Because it, it is politically inside the geography of the United States, but it is different. Um, and I think, so to me, one thing that, you know, uh, I can't, I think I read this book um, in like the early 2000s. So like um, after college, I had already moved to DC when I, when I, when I read this book, um, but reading it, so reading it now, like 20 years later, um, it's amazing to me, not amazing, but it's, it's funny to me how it's kind of gone almost full circle. So um, one of the things this book um, talks about, which I think you said it was surprising to you, was the relations between the Native Americans, i.e. the Anglos. The Seminoles, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and, and the Cubans. And basically can, that can be summarized as um, Miami was a sleepy kind of beach town um, uh, full of, you know, um, snowbird New Yorkers and uh, the service industry that catered to them. Um, and so, you know, there, it was just like another, you know, kind of small, you know, or mid-sized kind of city with a chamber of commerce that was doing good work, you know, uh, good public works and, uh, and whatever. Right. Um, and then the Cubans showed up. Um, and this is something she does. She doesn't really, maybe it's implicit. Um, she doesn't really get into it, but you know, there were several waves of immigration from Cuba. The first wave being um, the people who got, out, who got out either right before the revolution or during or immediately thereafter because they were the capitalists and the professional. First it was the capitalists, right? And the people in government. Um, uh, then it was the professional class. Right, and so it was the, the the cream of society in Cuba that came over first, and as she says, like they would, you know, do anything. Um, so you know, they they started at the bottom and worked their way up, and pretty soon um, they were in uh, positions of you know uh, of power in Miami. Right, they were entrepreneurs, they were um, business owners, um, etc. And the Anglos never realizes, right? Like they just always saw these, you know, these people as kind of like local color. 
Um, right. And they, and they always assume that they that these people came here to find a better life in America, uh, because they you know they came here attracted by the American dream, and that they would essentially assimilate. Uh, whereas the Cubans, to them, like uh, the, the you know America is like the the devil, right? Always has been. Like you're super suspicious of America, right? Because America has repeatedly done bad things to uh, Cuba and South America or in Latin America. Uh, but so they came here um, as exiles and they really, they really, really, really honestly thought that the, that, that exile would last a little while, that it, it would, you know, it would be a matter of months or years, you know, before they would be able to return. They never thought about this as like, they were immigrating for a, you know, they were, they were, did not see this immigration. They saw it as exile, like a short exile. Um, uh, but in the meantime, they got along with living their lives and they you know, became super successful. Um, but they were kind of invisible to the Anglo establishment uh, until, you know, they started, um, uh, you know, having conflicting visions about the way things should be run. Mm -hmm. And and basically, I, I think it came to a head when in like early 80s, like it might have been like 81. Uh there there was so everybody spoke spanish everywhere and cubans you know slowly were becoming like more than half the population and spanish was being spoken everywhere and the anglos didn't like that right because you weren't assimilating uh and so they passed a law that um, basically said one of these english only laws right the said public services could only be uh, uh offered in english and that really i think was what um kind of made a lot of cubans realize we're not going home anytime soon <laughs> we're here and if we don't you know get into politics here um you know we're going to uh you know this is not going to turn out well for us and so they naturalized uh as american citizens they started voting and you know within like an election cycle of that law getting passed cubans controlled the entire government of miami the mayor and everything else right and the rest is history. And then, uh, you know, she talks about the, the, you know, the old joke in Miami, which is, will, will the last American uh, uh, bring the flag? Mm -hmm. Right, because <laughs> right. they all went up to basically they all left. They went north, basically, or uh, to Broward County to Fort Lauderdale. Um, and so, Miami became, you know, proportionally only only more Cuban. And so. Uh, she does a very and i feel like i'm monologuing so i'm gonna stop she she does a very good job of kind of talking about how there's miami still when she went there in the 80s has this veneer of america right like she talks about going to the super bowl to watch the dolphins and it's like the most american thing ever so there's you, miami is still part of america there's still like a very american uh you know you, you see american um quintessentially american stuff there but it's like a veneer. And if you go down a little deeper, it's, 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 you know, uh, in the eighties anyway, it's a Cuban town. <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what I was going to, and so the reason I started saying all this is that the Cubans, you know, the, uh, Anglos left because these Cubans were not going to assimilate. The Cubans had no intention of assimilating, but if you go to Miami now, you can see that what happened, what happened was that basically all the old folks who came here, to basically fight La Lucha, uh, you know, fight the war from here for a temporary period. They've all died, basically. And who's left are the children. Uh, 
and the children's people like me, <laughs> right? And what did I do? I married an American. A Texan. Uh, a let's Texan. Be, let's be honest, okay. Be clear. Uh, my daughter is five years old, doesn't speak Spanish, right? Which is totally my fault. And uh, I will, uh, you know, I am, I uh, to, you know, to my eternal shame. Um, and I think that's the case for a lot of folks, uh, even folks who live in my who live in Miami. So Miami also, I think there's a lot of more uh, newer immigration, right, uh, from Colombia, Venezuela, Nicaragua, right. So there remains Latin, but I think the Cubans got diluted a bit. The children um, who may nonetheless, may, you know, may still be very Cuban at heart. They're not fighting la lucha, right? They're not fighting that same war. And so, you know, you have uh, like the son of the mayor in this book of, of Suarez is the mayor of Miami, of the city of Miami now. And he's a uh, whatever he, he is, but he's, you know, he's not like uh, uh, a, an anti-communist uh, uh, crusader. Um, the son of Jorge Mascanosa, who is in this book, right? He's like the co-owner with David Beckham of the Miami uh, uh, football club. Anyhow, just to say that that we assimilated, and it's like a it's like a beautiful, ultimately American story in that um, it it truly um, is a expression of a melting pot where um, you know we rubbed off on the United States and on America. Um, but 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 ultimately, America wins here, right? Like America has assimilated, and I can imagine in the next generation, even it'll be like you know even more so. And you know, and 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 I think the way that we you know that the Cubans uh, rubbed off on the U.S. is that there is a very distinct Miami culture that is unique, uh, and and it's you know it's part of America, but you can't say it's you know quintessentially American. So anyhow, I'll, I'll stop monologuing and let you talk for a little while. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what I have to add to that. I mean, that's it's an interesting take. Like, you know, it's like her portrait of Miami is. I mean, it's not like things are like on the brink. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Or anything like that. But like, you can just. But they uh, feel that way. Right. They so really do. Yeah. at least on the Cuban side. So again, let's because that's that's really who she's talking to. She's talking right. to the uh, to the Cubans in Miami, not so much to the Anglos. Um, like in Cuban Miami, there's just so much tension, yes, and kind of turmoil, and you can sense that things are changing. That, like, they're still like honoring <laughs> their freedom fighters yeah. uh, slash domestic terrorists, <laughs> terrorists, and kind of other uh, bad guys. Um, like that's still happening. Uh, like they they have was it Orlando Bosch week or day mm -hmm. or all, all it's like all these people that were involved in fighting Castro and the communists, um, but now they're like the people who earlier would have been assassinated and were assassinated or blown up for saying things like maybe we need to like reconcile with the Castro regime in mm -hmm. order to defeat it. Like we're gonna loosen things up so that we can beat him, you know, in a different way, as opposed to like we're gonna invade and kill him and bomb him and you know bathe in his blood, right? To even say like we're gonna win in a different way might get you like a car bomb. <laughs> yeah, uh, like things were maybe changing a little bit um, even then, but like just everyone 
seems incredibly on edge. <laughs> uh, eating dinner at 11 p.m., smoking, just, um, you know, kind of almost like a, some people are like afraid to say what they really think, it seems, because they like fear for their lives. Um, so that was, you know, probably something that's not happening anymore. But like something you said, just the anti-American, like the animus, right, towards mm -hmm. America from a, a lot of these people, um, like the biggest takeaway is, uh, for me at least, was like the, the sense of betrayal. Oh, yeah. the, the ambivalence, right? That a lot of these, the, the Cubans who left after the revolution uh, feel towards the US government. I mean, I don't know, I'll really understand, I don't really know what they feel towards America. That like barely comes up, which kind of goes to the whole idea of like, they're just here. This is like the forward operating base to take Cuba back, right? Um, but the deep ambivalence and like sense of betrayal and uh, like they just don't trust the American government at all. Like they hate Kennedy, they hate Reagan. Uh, they're always, they're, they're under the impression that everything, you know, that these guys say is, it's two-faced. Like you're gonna give up on the Contras, like you gave up on us. We can't let mm -hmm. that happen. We have to like beat communism everywhere. And we just know that you're just, you're just spinning our wheels so that we don't go crazy and start blowing up <laughs> you know, the White House or start assassinating American, uh, you know, politicians as opposed to Cuban and Nicaraguan politicians. Um, so I presume that also went away. <laughs> um, that kind of. Um, yeah, yeah it's like, I, I guess it's so, because I mean, that, that's the jitteriness, like they're just expecting to get like arrested by the CIA, both like to be, to be framed, <laughs> but to be given training to blow something up by the CIA and then the next day get arrested by the FBI for the same thing, <laughs> uh, which seems to happen quite a bit uh, down there uh, in the seventies and eighties. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I, and I, th I basically, these guys all got old and died. Um, yeah. Like if you think about the people that she talks about, um, you know, uh, she, you know, mentions this and any book in about Miami Cuban politics will, will tell you this that radio cuban radio um was just huge right like this was this was the way that uh you know everything was organized um uh so uh you know like like the party line was communicated um through basically editorials and i, I remember i mean like i would listen to this i mean it may i mean i would listen to this my my grandfather my father you know would have this on you know, when I was like five, six, seven years old, and you know, and even after that, and um, you know, it would be like kind of like radio news, but then there'd be an editorial, and it would be, you know, you can just imagine what the sounds like, right? Like you can just see the guy, like gesticulating with his finger as he's mm -hmm. reading the paper, right? Sweating, sweating air, yeah. on air conditioning, with a cigarette, smoking. yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and it's and basically this is where you know denunciations were made um against you know castro but against also people within our midst against um you know uh government officials uh, who were doing the wrong thing etc cetera, etc cetera. um and yeah and betrayal is just a huge part of the cuban narrative right like cubans have been betrayed at every uh, uh turn and you know in america in particular so uh in um when was it like after you know uh, the main um 
like basically every time I, I'd have to go back and refresh myself on the on the dates and the and the circumstances, but um, it, it was at least twice that there was there were Cuban um, wars for independence where the Cubans were on the verge of um, winning when the U.S. intervened on the side of the Cubans and then didn't let them have independence. <laughs> okay. And so, it, it, you know, and then you have beta pigs. And so, yeah, so like, you know, Reagan, I, I don't think they hated Reagan, but I think that they, um, I think they liked Reagan because um, Reagan was saying all the right things, right? Like, right. Um, but they were mistrustful of, you know, the, uh, the empire, right? Um, so yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's a huge part of the narrative. And I think people who like me were born here, um, as much as, as that was inculcated in them by their parents and my father would, I would, and it's funny cause I, the combination of people who were born here just don't have that same and who, you know, basically went to high school here and, you know, all that they, you know, uh, it's gotta be less, right? Like you, you don't feel that same thing. Um, you know, even the most patriotic, patriotically Cuban, Cuban American can't feel that sense of betrayal. Right. Uh, and, and again, it's like, uh, when I hear about like Serbians who feel about, um, something that happened, you know, like a thousand years ago, as if it happened yesterday and they like, they will fight to the death because of some dishonor from, uh, back then. I understand that completely because that's how like my family and my friends, my family, friends, and whatever would talk about Cuban history. Um, but that, you know, that obviously didn't rub off on me. And even like my dad who would talk like that a lot, he, you know, like he's like 70 something now. And like, uh, it's clear he's not going back. You're know saying <laughs> right. like that, that, yeah. that dream died at some point. Um, and so a lot of these old guys who were on the radio that she talks about, like they were in their, 50s and 60s when she was writing this so right. they're all dead and people like my dad they stopped listening to to the radio stations and so the radio stations have all moved i, I really i'm curious to go back and uh and just see what these stations are now like i, I mean these things were really specific creatures like it, it was like the, it was like news with editorials and call-in shows but they were like really specific they were like I don't know if like anti-communist Twitter could exist on radio. It, I mean, it was, Keep it was talking. Uh, I, I do remember they were um, implicated in, in hoodwinking um, Hispanics into voting for Trump. Oh, right, right, right. Do right. you remember that? Yes. I, I do remember yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, so. um, but yeah, but they were, they were like just fever swamps. Right. Um, but uh, how do I put it? It's like, they they also were maybe inaccurate but true ultimately <laughs> you know what I'm saying <laughs> so um yeah there, there was a lot of that uh and yeah the, the tension stuff was driven i i think by by these i mean just constant denunciations and and constant like um who's who's going to betray and when you know like a, a super interesting atmosphere <laughs> that super uh, interesting but it wasn't just like oh i've been denounced like oh no no no, no, no. it's like oh somebody might kill you yeah yeah because there were just a lot of people with um big cia provided access to grind and <laughs> yeah i mean that was like i didn't realize like how violent maybe it got i assumed it was like well miami was violent because of like cocaine or drugs 
right like if you said like oh what was miami like in the 80s it's like well it's kind of like scarface right you don't think of at least i didn't think of like politically motivated um car bombings and well you have to under assassinations I mean, so it's interesting she does not really mention drugs at all no no she doesn't no um but scarface definitely mentions the anti-communism right so sure, if, you, yeah. if you remember he gets out he gets the papers because he kills a communist yeah that, right um uh yeah anyhow and you remember i mean scarface is uh, a big plot point is when they were going to kill the un ambassador or not the yeah. un ambassador like the colombian uh uh guy who's going to give a talk at the un yeah yeah which and, and that was like very common that kind of thing um so yeah anyhow <laughs> uh yeah i mean i don't know like uh, there's just it's so full of um amazing characters oh. which i'm probably not maybe people in miami don't want to be described as amazing characters but um yeah uh i mean you you would you would know better than i i think she does have, it's a little hard to keep track of people yes yeah uh, for me yeah yeah um so if you if you do try to read it like go a little slow because there's a lot of um you can also look, just let it watch over you. Cause yeah, like, kind of towards the yeah. end, I was like, okay, that's just. I think this is the Venezuelan uh, secret police murder guy. Yeah, okay, <laughs> I'll just assume it is. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's like it's a very like it's very gritty and like dank and <laughs> not Miami itself, although it probably was in the eighties. But just like the story yeah. she's telling, right? It's like it's not, it's not like it's not very happy. Like a lot of people don't seem very happy. Like nobody really seems happy here. Um, they're just all um, and again. They've all died, like you said, or they're they're they've kind of given up. But like they're just so embittered. But embittered at not not just at Castro. It's almost like being mad at Castro is just something you do. It's like breathing or eating. But it's like getting effed over by the 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 government. Uh, like the U.S. government specifically, that's the thing that kind of like gnaws at people a lot, right? Because you know it's just closer, right? They're the ones who are giving you money and then arresting you. They're the ones who are training you <laughs> in the U.S. Army, but, but but you know that like, well, they're just doing that so we don't actually go back. Like they don't want us to to take Cuba back. Um, so like it, that that that's just ever present. Um, so that was. What did yeah. you think of of the later chapter? You know, the kind of like the final chapters where she kind of transitions to DC, uh, and she talks about the. Oh, just amazing stuff. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I guess uh, whatever the the French phrase is, right? The more. The more things change, the more they stay the same. I assume that there are a bunch of uh, Ukrainian exiles putting yep. together a talking group in some sub-basement of the White House right now about assassinating uh, Lavrov or whatever they're talking about. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> again, this kind of... Uh, it's not... But, I mean, so she's just eviscerating, like, these people, right? Like, the... So there's some working group. I, heard, I need to. I should have reread the reread it. I should have reread it. Like there's some there's like a bunch of dudes, right, who are all kind of mid to low level, like foreign policy and um, military industrial complex types, who like come up with what the Santa Fe document, mm -hmm. and it's just like we're gonna invade everywhere. <laughs> we're gonna kill all the communists 
show me communist, I'll kill them. And that's how we're going to take back Central America and South America and Cuba. And um, it turns out like a bunch of these guys are the ones who are invited to give like talks at the White House, but also like one of them is like the target of an assassination attempt <laughs> that's being funded by the CIA covertly. And like, it just seems like nobody, it, it seems like a, a grift for most of the people involved on the American side. Mm -hmm. And you get the sense that like the Cubans know this, like they feel it in their bones that like you, you people are not serious about this, this stuff. And like, some of us will play along because we're just so, radicalized we're so fanatical about killing communists and getting cuba back or just like we're crazy murderers <laughs> there's a few of those uh but this like it's like the ineptitude on the american side it's really highlighted in those chapters of like like what were you really thinking <laughs> like you're just smuggling arms to the contras but like the plane got shot down and like your fbi so your cia secret agent is like put on trial in costa rica and he just <laughs> blows the cover and now like everyone is talking about how you're smuggling weapons to the contras and that just leads i guess to iran contra which is a whole thing i don't understand itself either um but it just um it's like funny if it wasn't <laughs> if it wasn't so like tragic um but again, it's like I imagine this exact same shit was going on in like 2001 to 2003, right? It just gives me like war on terror vibes. And I wonder what it is. Go ahead. No, no, no it's just like I, I know she didn't, she just died recently, but I don't think she was really writing that much um, towards the end. But like, I, I'm sure she wrote about the war on terror, but like to have somebody investigate these things, to investigate like, you know, for us, for our generation, maybe not you, Jerry, you're old, but like, that's the big thing, right? 9-11, global war on terror, until they memory hold that stuff and we're funding uh, the Mujahideen in Chechnya again. But for the time being, <laughs> that's like the big thing. It's not Bay of Pigs and it's not the Cuban Missile Crisis or like the fall of the Soviet Union, really. It's 9-11. And like, I'm sure there are people like that guy I follow on t Twitter, the the hunt for Tom Clancy guy, mm -hmm. who's great, who reminds me a lot of her in his mm -hmm. little in his little tweets. Um, shout out to him. Uh, like I, I would love to have somebody investigate like all of that stuff, like the goings on from like 2001 to 2003, and just so write like her. Yeah. So what is it about the Cubans that? Uh, exposed all so two things that, that let it get out of control and then that uh, exposed all of this so you know uh there's a quote from a guy from a cia guy or, or you know former cia guy former state department guy or something where he says like yeah it made sense to have you know miami be a forward operating base uh for all you know latin american operations but then it gets out of control and then how do you you know and after you've created all you know uh, this capability, how do you dispose of it once you, you know, it, the issue no longer becomes salient, right? For you politically. Um, yeah. It's what is she, she keeps saying like the disposal problem. Yeah. There's a phrase, right? And the Cubans realize that like, Oh, you're talking about us, right? We're the garbage that you're trying to dispose of now that we're no longer useful to be. <laughs> yeah. And, but like, so like this was all like, well known to everybody 
you know, well known to everybody in Miami, but also, you know, you had a church committee or whatever. And uh, so number one, it's, it's just way more closer to the surface. So is it that, you know, after this, the CIA and the powers that be learned from, from this. And so now they, they cloak it better. Um, you know, like, yeah, like what's the difference, right? Like if it's, uh, I mean, do people even care? I mean, do, do people, so I assume most people who are like, let's say pro, like the war in Ukraine, mm -hmm. if you're pro Ukrainian, you're sure that the Russians blew up Nord Stream. Right. And that they're probably going to blow up the nuclear plant that they own. You're mm -hmm. convinced of it. And then in a year when the truth comes out, you're just not going to care. Right. So like, you know, if you're kind of an anti-communist right winger, like Rush Limbaugh ditto head, um, I mean, I understand all this stuff came out before then. You just, it's kind of like, yeah, mistakes were made, but we're the good guys, right? We're fighting communism. You got to break, uh, you got to break some eggs. Um, and like, again, like the war on terror stuff, like people kind of, it was so fevered, right? After 9-11, like um, it took a while for people to like stick their head up and say like, I think you're messing up and making mistakes and acting like a moron. And there were those, those people, maybe John Didion was one of them. Um, but like it all, a lot of it did come out eventually, right? Through dri drips and drabs. And, you know, I think people realized that like, it was all a huge mistake, but you kind of just say like, yeah, I was kind of wrong about that whole Iraq thing, <laughs> but you know, let's not dwell on the past. That's kind of like, I get the impression that's like William Crystal's line and a lot of these neocons. Um, like, yeah, I was wrong about that. They won't say I was wrong. They'll say that, you know, the U.S. made a mistake here. Or maybe they will even say like, you know, I was wrong about aspects or I was, you know, I, I don't know. I don't listen to their podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that doesn't mean we're wrong about this, right? And like the same thought patterns and thought processes and... Um, delusions that got you there are probably getting you here too. Uh, again, maybe, maybe you are right this time, <laughs> but um, yeah, because you just kind of shrug it off. Like, what are you going to do? Cover yourself in ashes, give up your lucrative media think tank, whatever government career and like slink off and wait to be interviewed by Joan Didion. No, you, <laughs> you battle through it. You bullshit as much as you can. And then you hope to get through to the other side with a nice, uh, a nice think tank fellowship somewhere, right? Um, because like maybe people know about this stuff, but it's not like it's not like every day I go into like a coffee shop and people are like, "Hey, remember when we funded a bunch of terrorists in the <laughs> '80s to just blow up the Cuban fencing team for no good reason?" <laughs> uh, like, oh yeah, that was crazy. Anyway, <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things. I mean, it, it maybe just like it's. Uh, you wonder if the, the 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 American side, the the feds, the CIA, the whatever, like, were they just so arrogant that they thought we're going to fool these people? They're just, they're yeah. just all Mexicans. Like they don't know, <laughs> right? I mean, maybe is it just that attitude? It's like eh, they're just a bunch of like gardeners, right? Well, look at them; they're all driving cabs, and like this guy says he was a doctor, but now he's like a garbage man. Like they're going to do what we tell them to. They're stupid. They don't even speak English not realizing they're like, no, they came out of like a very, they came out of basically like game of Thrones. <laughs> like they're very like sophisticated the political came, operatives who they like, came out, they came out of game of Thrones and the, and the particular ones that you have 
over here right now is the cream of the crop. It's like the most educated ones. Like, yeah, they're all like doctors, lawyers, architects. Yeah. Half of them were involved in the revolution in some way or or a revolution. Yeah. <laughs> and like they know more about this than you do. But because you are, I don't know, I went to Princeton and now I'm at the CIA and I'm talking to some guy who's wearing like a sweaty linen shirt. Yeah, they'll do what we tell them to, not realizing like, oh, now we have a disposal problem. So, I mean, I think a lot of that probably also happened in the, the Great War on Terror uh, and previous. Maybe the Great War on Terror was the disposal place. Um, Hello? Yep. Sorry, you broke up. That's nah, okay. We're just uh, rambling here. Yeah. Spe speaking of uh, CIA ar ar arrogance, um, why did you make me watch... Uh, the movie Volunteers. In what are you talking about? In preparation for this podcast, I made you. What wow. did you think? Um, like uh, you know, a lot like my view of the founding fathers. You know, put in the right context, I think they're fantastic. <laughs> and okay, okay. Um, no, I, I, you know, like I get, I, I take it. I, I think you've mentioned this movie before. That I have. That this <laughs> is, uh, you know, a childhood favorite of yours uh, and I can totally see why and I can see you know it's, it's like I think one of mine was um spies like us I love that movie and I uh, me too it's, yeah, yeah, it's fantastic childhood, childhood, favorite. childhood favorite and I made Kathleen watch it like like a year or two ago and it's like oh my god like <laughs> does not does not hold up uh yeah this movie was incredibly slow incredibly poorly acted what are you talking uh, about <laughs> it was just it was not good but slow. I, I can see it's it. I can slow see it. well i'm sorry there wasn't a uh a fucking transformer flying around <laughs> for you jerry <laughs> this is the man that made me watch what you what david lynch movie did you make me watch all lost of them. highway yeah, all yeah. of them talk yeah. about slow i mean oh, nothing happens except you get like three jump scares it's a terrifying anyhow slow movie why did i make you watch it um that movie could not be made today. No, no, it's because it's too funny. Uh, for those who are interested, Volunteers, it's an early Tom Hanks comedy. Um, he's beautiful. He's young. Uh, this is the movie, I believe, where he meets Rita Wilson, who's now his wife. Mm -hmm. uh, it also stars uh, John Candy. And uh, the premise is he's, he's a wasp. He's at Yale. And in order to escape some very large gambling uh, gambling uh fees that he owes to a mobster he uh, switches places with his roommate to go to the peace corps in thailand and hijinks ensue there are communists there are cia guys there's uh there's tom hanks so charming so suave and funny so dry uh the wit um i don't remember why i recommended it no i just thought like it's yeah um, they're echoes for sure yeah they're echoes it's like it's just like silly cia run Oper operations there's just like his character is like he's a wasp well i you, you forgot the best part you didn't yeah. which is uh his father's played by george plimpton of course i was gonna let you, <laughs> you explain who george plimpton is oh god so uh, george plimpton uh is a harvard man who i think edited the paris review is that right he, uh, maybe even founded it yeah founded or, it yeah you're yeah. right you're right and um I, for a long time, he was like the like the last wasp, right? Like um, him and uh, uh, what's his face, uh, National Review, um, Buckley. Buckley. Uh, so, like, I think in popular culture, um, 
you know, I think you could name those two as like, you know, the stereotypical wasps, but him in particular, I think would go on a lot of popular culture stuff and kind of play that part uh, for some reason. Real Renaissance man. Yeah. 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 Um, Yeah. I just, uh, it's just the, it's the, it's the Tom Hanks character, Lawrence born the third. Uh, I, I feel like, I don't know why I feel like Joan Didion would enjoy that movie or, mm-hmm. <laughs> or would enjoy that character or just the way that he interacts with people uh, because he's so sneering and dismissive and like distant. I'm not saying she I, is. I think entitled. Yeah. Is, is Definitely good. entitled. Yeah. yeah. Very entitled. But he, he comes around towards the end, right? He, I guess. He, he doesn't. No, that's the beauty of it. Yeah. The beauty of it is, is that he doesn't change. Uh, who changes is Rita Wilson's character who is like a, uh, Jewish New York intellectual, uh, uh, you know, young woman who joined the Peace Corps, and she, you know, refuses his advances because he is terrible, which he is. But then she comes around at the end and, and finds the errors of her ways. Nah, he, he's heroic. Uh huh. Heroic. He tells her he loves her. Yeah. Um, he marries outside of his caste. Uh huh. The Long Island princess. Yeah. <laughs> uh it's it's a great movie i don't remember i had like a a, a brainwave about like oh this is this is just like what we're just reading but now i don't remember <laughs> why i should have written it down um uh, no but it's clear it's clear it's like it's like the u.s it's like on the one hand you've got the peace corps on the other hand you have the cia and like one's using the other without you know in, in the meantime in between them you have the ties the local people who like are like the last thought of any of them it's it's all about yeah, I mean, the, the idea is the Peace Corps is coming to build this bridge for right. this tiny village in Thailand so they can, you know, visit their relatives and trade and and be open to the world. And at the end, the, spoiler alert, the bridge gets blown up and um, they tell, the, they tell the, the, the Peace Corps people, like, we never actually wanted the bridge in the first place. <laughs> the people didn't want is, the bridge. Who, who wanted the bridge was the, the black market opium dealer. Yeah. And the communists, uh, the Chicoms, were the two who wanted the bridge for their own purposes. Exactly. Uh, and yeah. Oh, and the CIA who was in cahoots with the opium dealers because they were anti-communists. But. Yeah. Uh, it's a great movie. Two thumbs up. Check it out. Uh, I think it has like a thirty-eight percent Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> score, which is which is which is I guess terrible. Right. I think it's no, right. it's amazing. I don't know what you're talking about. Poorly acted. Who's poorly acting? Oh my God, those accents between Rita Wilson's Long Island accent and uh, Tom Hanks's. Uh, those are real. Wasp. Those are real. My God. Um, I was going to mention another movie, but I forgot what it was. Oh, well. Well, so read, read everything she ever wrote. Watch yeah. Volunteers. Enjoy it. I think she might, she might recur at some point. In, oh no! You're gonna assign us more reading. <laughs> speaking that's, of, that's fine. Yeah, speaking of, speaking of, uh, next time, Stably, your pick. I'll be clear about that, uh, because uh, okay. we have we have no choice. This is. Uh, I mean, this is like uh... <laughs> history demands it. Okay. In uh, times. Elites, counter elites, and the path of political disintegration by Peter Turchin. How excited are you? I'm very excited. It's the number one bestseller on Amazon in the democracy section. 
democracy and also future studies and possibly also future studies uh-huh uh -huh. so so many future studies is a close of uh, progress studies right close association it's a kiss it's a kissing cousin yeah, kissing cousin. Okay. yeah. If, if, look at this four and a half star rating amazing it's going to be great all right peter turchin uh you know everyone knows who he is of course what would you call him a, a future studies man uh yeah isn't isn't he a history professor i think he was a history might have been future? so i think he was <laughs> uh i think he might have been like an uh mathematical biologist okay at some point i think that's maybe where his uh background is but he is a pioneering co-founder of clio dynamics mm -hmm. it's a it's a groundbreaking new interdisciplinary science of history so he's our harry selden basically there we go yeah so it's his new book he's had several this sounds like an interesting topic don't make fun of me uh he has a lot of haters out there he does he does and we're here to investigate impartially and report back and uh, that's right yep <laughs> all right stably all right jerbear this was you. fun this was fun see you next time okay bye